Well, thank you all for uh, for joining us for our Catholicism 101 event on Fratelli Tutti, Pope Francis's latest encyclical on social friendship and fraternity. In 2013, when Jorge Mario Bergoglio was elected as the Bishop of Rome, he chose the name Francis. Many people, myself included, assumed that this was after the great Jesuit missionary Francis Xavier. Yet the Holy Father explained that he took the name not in honor of the great Jesuit saint, but of the order of the founder of the order of the friars minor, Francis of Assisi. The saint who the now Pope Francis described as a man of poverty, the man of peace, and the man who loves and protects creation. This past year, on October 4th, the Feast of St. Francis, Pope Francis once again confirmed this link between his papacy and the life and vision of the poor man of Assisi, as he released this encyclical letter for Telli Tutti and signed it on the saint's very tomb. Yet Francis, the saint that is, is perhaps best known for his love of nature. You've probably seen a statue in your grandmother's front garden of St. Francis, looking pretty similarly to what I am, his arms outstretched as a birdbath. I think this is the common image that people have of St. Francis. What then does this 13th century saint have to teach us about fraternity nearly 800 years after his death? This is what I want to explore today. Looking at the life of St. Francis, I can see three key moments over the course of his life that broadened and shaped Francis's understanding of fraternity, of what it means to be brother. My hope is that these moments will help to break open Pope Francis's invitation to build a more fraternal world. But hopefully, this is always a part of my project in life, uh, to move beyond the birdbath Francis. Now, before we dive into the life of the saint, we need to take a little look at the world in which he lived. Assisi a typical small medieval village. Now what we see here is a very modern image of the city. In fact, most of what you see on the left side of the picture did not exist in the time of St. Francis. It's the basilica built in his honor and the Sacro Convento, none of which would have existed uh, at that time. But what you can see clearly is that Assisi is built on a hill. Uh, in fact, uh, you can see kind of the change in color as you see the old city versus the new. Now, this was done strategically because Francis grew up in a time of great war, of battle between different cities and, of course, the larger forces at play. But this structure, this hill, reveals also the social reality of the city clear social stratification in which he lived. At the top of the hill, you can make it out just on the right there is the uh, Roca Maggiore, the fortress of the papal legate, 
who would have had uh, his stay and would have had a great say in the life of the city. The nobles of the city would have been slightly farther down the hill. And as you continue down the hill, you go down in social status. So you have the wealthy merchants, the not so well-to-do merchants, tradesmen, and then outside of the city, you would have had the poor, you would have the farmers. And at the bottom of the rung, you would have basically the lepers, those kind of cast out of, so of society. Now, this is important to understand because Francis grew up in this incredibly hierarchical society that basically produced a view that as you lived higher up the city, you were above those who were below you in every way, including in superiority and dignity. Those who were beneath you were exactly that. And they were dirtier too, because in a city built on a hill, all of your waste flows down. All of the dirt flows down and everything else you can imagine that is a part of city life. No wonder that people saw themselves as superior, as purer than those beneath them. So the city itself is a physical manifestation of the social reality of Assisi and quite frankly, most of medieval Italy. And it helped to shape and strengthen the ways in which people thought and related to one another, including Francesco di Bernadone, the future saint of Assisi. Now Francis, his father Pietro was not a noble, but a wealthy merchant. So he would have lived right about this level, just off of one of the piazzas in the city. Uh, so he knew wealth. He was more than middle class. So he was a man of means and grew up a man of means and was known in the city to throw lavish parties for his friends and for the young men of the city. He surrounded himself with people, with pleasure, building a system not of fraternity, of authentic friendship, uh, but one of superficial connections, connections that merely lived and worked to affirm his status within society and hopefully further it so that he could marry into a noble family and move up in the ranks of the city. His aim was to become not only a noble, but a knight. And like those of means, Francis looked down on the people beneath him. Particularly, Francis had a great hatred for those cast outs, for the lepers. Uh, in fact, Thomas of Chilano, his first biographer, uh, tells us that Francis used to say that at the sight of lepers, that they were so bitter to him that even as he looked and saw their houses two miles away, he would close his nose so that he wouldn't have even the scent of a connection. He found them so repulsive. He did everything within his power to avoid them, to keep them out of his life and out of his sight, which leads us to our first event, Francis and the leper. Early in this man's process of conversion, he was walking out in the plains around the city when he came across a leper. We are told that when Francis saw the leper, he felt fear. He felt disgust rising in his heart. 
But strengthened by the grace of God who he encountered on the cross, Francis overcame this fear, ran towards the leper, and kissed him, gave him gold. This encounter with this man who was previously despised, this moment of embrace and reverence shown to someone less than, had a profound impact on this man's life. And for Francis, it's this encounter that he marks as the beginning of his religious life. Not his experience at San Damiano, not his visions of Christ uh, as he was traveling out for war, but the encounter with the leper. During his final days, his dying days, Francis began dictating his last testament to his brothers, a mix of autobiography and exhortation uh, as he reflected on his life. And the very first thing that he says is this, the Lord gave me brother Francis thus to begin doing penance in this way. For when I was in sin, it seemed too bitter for me to see lepers. And the Lord himself led me among them and I showed mercy to them. And when I left them, what had seemed bitter to me turned into sweetness of soul and body. Feci misericordiam, I showed mercy to them. Mercy misericordiam, says Franciscan scholar, Brother Regis Armstrong, is ultimately a quality of the heart. It is having a heart, a core, turned to those who are in misery, those who are in need. It is having a heart filled with fraternal love, open to the lowliest, to the despised. This became the foundation of Francis's life and the foundation of the entire Franciscan charism to live poorly among the poor as brothers and sisters, hearts and hands open to serving those in need. This is why Francis began living among the lepers as a brother, leaving his high social status and descending the hill, becoming one of the least, washing their skin and cleansing their wounds, filled with pus. This was a, a very dirty reality, but one that he embraced because it was the reality that he saw in the cross of Christ who came down and entered into our sickness, our sin, out of love as a brother. And here among the lowliest, Francis found a true brotherhood, one that was not based on social expectation or advancing career or status within society, but one that was based on the mutual exchange of love and the basic recognition of the human dignity of all human people made in the image and likeness of God. This is why the leprosariums became for us the first houses of formation of the order. Because if you cannot love the, these lowliest ones, the most beloved of God, how can you truly call yourself brother? How can you call yourself sister? Throughout his pontificate, Pope Francis has been calling our attention to the lepers in the world today. 
Like Assisi 800 years ago, Pope Francis tells us that while one part of humanity lives in opulence, another part sees its own dignity denied, scorned, or trampled upon, and its fundamental rights are discarded or violated, simply trampled underfoot. These are the people in our world today who, like the lepers, are cast to the fringes of society, whose suffering is not seen and whose voices go unheard. Pope Francis speaks out against the injustices of human trafficking, of continued forms of slavery and indentured servitude, the appalling way that migrants and refugees are treated at the borders of nations across the globe, their dignity discarded. Now, these may very well seem like issues beyond us, though some of them may certainly feel very close to home as well. Uh, and they may seem somehow beyond our means of addressing. But Pope Francis brings out lepers that we can all meet. He talks about the diminished rights of women in society. He talks about the great and terrible virus of racism, which continues to rear its head time and time again, and which in the past years we have seen the destruction that it causes. We have to be aware of these tendencies, these prejudices and fears that rise within our hearts, which break down our relationships at marginalized people and tear at the fabric of society, casting people aside who could truly enrich our lives, who like the lepers for Francis, can bring us to a deeper union with the crucified that is the suffering Christ. How then do we overcome these prejudices? How are we at the invitation of Pope Francis to build a more fraternal world? Well, I believe that Francis's leper experience shows us a way forward. It begins first, of course, by recognizing the borders built up within our own hearts just as Francis recognized the bitterness, the deep-seated disgust that he held, felt towards lepers. Maybe our hearts are closed to the poor. We walk around the beggars on the street, avoiding eye contact. Or to races of people who we avoid or feel anxious when we're in the presence of. Perhaps the easiest way to approach these borders is to recognize the individuals in our lives who we find abrasive, annoying, who we try to sit away from when we walk into a room. These feelings, when they arise, are ultimately an invitation to encounter, an invitation to actively seek out and embrace those who we have previously marginalized in our lives, to spend time with them, slowly, slowly breaking down those borders in our hearts and building authentic and joyful friendships. Finally, Francis was not content simply to be with the lepers, but desired to serve them, not as someone who is above and has something to give, but out of love, out of fraternity, a brotherhood, a recognition of their equality. He went out of the way to serve those who had previously considered 
were previously considered untouchable. And in doing so realized that the borders that he had built up were meaningless. This act of service, I believe, is a crucial step in our building of a more fraternal society. In a world where we see all people, not just in their humanity, but as brothers and sisters in their own right, we naturally desire their good. We want to help them, to serve them, to alleviate their suffering. And for most of us, this will come through simple acts of love, simple acts of kindness, a meal shared, a door held. But this is the heart of the matter. For Pope Francis says that the path to a more fraternal world has to do with our daily efforts to expand our circle of friends, to reach those who, even though they are close to me physically, I do not consider a part of my circle of interests. As we bring marginalized people to the center of our lives and view them as brothers and sisters, we begin to live with a merciful and loving heart. We begin to share our experiences too with others. And so says Pope Francis, we give voices to those who are discriminated against. For St. Francis, it was his encounter with the leper that led him to see the poor, the outcasts, in every form as brothers and sisters, to recognize the dignity uh, that exists through the love of God, which binds us all in our existence. But this was only the first of his revelations of what fraternity meant. In 1219, the Middle East, a very similar story to one that we would recognize today, was embroiled in war. Just two years previously, Pope Innocent III called for the Fifth Crusade, in order to retake Jerusalem from Muslim control. The main leader of this army was Sultan Malik al-Kamil, who was stationed in Damietta, Egypt, a city surrounded by three layers of defensive walls and a large moat, and so was put under siege at the beginning of the crusade. Francis, being a man of peace, desired to bring a swift end to this conflict. And so he traveled with the armies down to Egypt and found his way through the multiple walls of the city where admittedly he and his brother uh, who traveled with him were first uh, assaulted, uh, being thought to be spies of the enemy, but were eventually brought before the Sultan. When Francis saw the Sultan, he greeted him with his own traditional greeting. May the Lord give you peace which Francis always began his documents with, which in the ears of the Sultan sounded awfully like his own familiar greeting, Assalamu Alaikum, and a dialogue commenced. Francis preached the good news of Christ and the love of the triune God. He did so boldly with strength of the soul and fervor of spirit. And the Sultan was moved by this. He gladly listened to this man preaching and actually invited Francis to stay with him for several days. Francis accepted and the two continued to speak to one another of their spiritual lives and of their relationship with the God of Abraham. They learned about their different traditions of prayer and of service. 
And while neither of them changed their viewpoints, their hearts were nonetheless moved. They were changed and transformed. The Sultan, on his part, allowed the little brothers of St. Francis to move into Christian holy sites in Jerusalem and to stay there as caretakers of these sacred shrines, a privilege that they still have to this day. He also offered gold and money to support the poor Christian churches uh, that Francis saw along the way. And Francis, it was said, was so moved by the deep devotion of the Sultan and of his Muslim brothers and sisters as they prayed throughout the day that it inspired him to write his own little office of the Passion. This encounter between the saint and the Sultan has become a popular model for dialogue in today's world of deepening conflict. Pope Francis even used this image here as a sign of peace and unity during his papal visit to the Arabian Peninsula. And in Fratelli Tutti, he puts the story of encounter and dialogue forward for us as a model of building fraternity in a polarized and divided world, a world in which ideologies rule. But what does this kind of dialogue look like? How do we actually engage in this peace building? Well, Pope Francis warns us about false understandings of dialogue. He says, dialogue is often confused with something quite different. It's the feverish exchange of opinions on social networks, frequently based on media information that is not always reliable. This, he says, is not dialogue, but merely parallel monologues spoken in an aggressive tone and ultimately speaking past the person in front of us. This kind of false dialogue occurs when we have grounded ourselves firmly in our beliefs without an openness to change, to growth, to a deepening of understanding. It comes from a sense of pride, of certitude, which in many ways is alien to Christian life and spirituality, which is ultimately a commitment to living into the inexhaustible mystery of God. For authentic dialogue, we must approach the table with a sense of humility, with a recognition that while our position may very well be true, may very well be correct, we are finite beings with a finite perspective, and there is always more to learn. A spiritual director of mine, a Kamal Deliz monk, uh, once put it succinctly for me. He said, the people of God deserve better and the people of God deserve to be bettered. It is not a humility that denies that we have anything to offer, but recognizes that there is much being offered to us. If authentic dialogue is to happen, it demands this kind of humility, this openness to the other, one that does not interrupt before a point is made, but listens to the person to our brother or sister before us. This listening, this humility to hear the voice of the other is part of why Francis attributes his inspiration for Fratelli Tutti to Saint Francis. He says, we are impressed that some 800 years ago, Saint Francis urged that all forms of a hostility or conflict be avoided 
and that humble and fraternal subjection be shown to those who did not even share his faith. In this subjection, Francis was able to welcome true peace into his heart and offer that peace to others, for it had freed him from a desire to wield power over others. This fraternal subjection or humility once again expanded his understanding of brotherhood beyond the borders of his own country to embrace all of humanity, regardless of religion or ideology. The last moment that I'd like to speak to you about today is not really a moment per se, but a poem, uh, which I believe reflects the mature thought and spirituality of St. Francis. It's the Canticle of the Creatures. You're probably most familiar with this hymn through its modern reinterpretation, all creatures of our God and King, right? Very familiar. The poem itself, though, speaks of the ways in which God's creation sings the praises of their creator. Each of the main stanzas of the poem begins with the now famous words, Laudato si, mi signore, praised be you, my Lord, and names the elements of creation and how they praise God. But Francis does not just name the elements of creation, but names them as brother or sister. Praise be you, my Lord, through all your creatures, especially Sir Brother Sun, who is the day through whom you give us light. And he is beautiful and radiant with great splendor and bears the likeness of you, most high one. Praise be you, my Lord, through sisters, moon and stars, in heaven you form them clear and precious and beautiful. Praise be you, my Lord, through brothers wind, sister water, brother fire, sister mother earth, and my favorite, sister death. This may very well seem like we're going back to the birdbath image of Francis, the flower child Francis that was depicted in the famous movie, Brother Sun, Sister Moon. But this is not the case. Francis's understanding, his own encounter really, uh, with the natural world comes from his understanding and a natural understanding of genealogy, as well as an, I think, a very insightful look at our ontological poverty, by which I mean the fact that we as creatures of God cannot even claim our own existence as something that belongs to us, but which comes from God, who holds us in being out of his great love. If all things in the world, however, are held in existence by God's love, then God, who is being itself, continues to be the source of all things. And if we map that out like you would a family tree, well, then God goes at the top and everything that has its source from God falls beneath. We are all produced and exist basically by the same person. We are all therefore brothers and sisters. Though this person is ultimately for us as Christians, a trinity of persons. Now, while we all may share the same creator and are therefore all brothers and sisters in Francis's understanding, 
this does not mean that he denied that a difference exists between humanity and the rest of creation. I want to make that very clear. Uh, Francis himself said to his brothers, consider, O human being, in what great excellence the Lord God has placed you. For he has created you and formed you to the image of his beloved son according to the body and his likeness according to the spirit, made in the image and likeness of God. We have gifts that creation, the rest of creation rather, for we are a part of creation, do not share. But because we all share the same source, there is also an unbreakable tie between us and the rest of creation, this world in which we live. And like any family relation, it is not one that can be broken. It's not one that we choose, but exists through the natural course of things. I cannot all of a sudden say that my brother Aaron is no longer my brother. I can hate him. I can ignore him. I can be nasty and cruel to him. But that doesn't change the fact that we share the same parents, that we are necessarily tied by blood, by familial relation. So too with creation. We are in a relationship with the world around us and that relationship has to be respected. Our brothers and sisters, yes, the sun and the stars, fire and mother earth have to be respected. What Pope Francis continually points out to us, however, deepening this understanding is that our relationship with the environment is not just a reflection of our care for our common home, but like any relationship, it's reciprocal. As we continue to pollute the earth and as the environment continues to change and ocean levels rise, we are seeing our human brothers and sisters forced out of home and country due to floods, fires, and increasing natural disasters. Our acts of care for creation then are not just for creation, but are acts of fraternal love for the poor and the vulnerable who are at the greatest risk of the effects of climate change. This fraternal world that St. Francis has modeled for us and that Pope Francis continues to foster through his letters ultimately shows us the interrelatedness of the world in which we live. It calls for us not to just recognize, to recognize that man is not just an island, but that all people, all of creation are intimately connected as we are all sons and daughters of the same father and are therefore all one family. We are being summoned to live as St. Francis did in the way that St. Francis named him as his patron. We are being summoned to live as men and women of poverty with hearts filled with mercy, as men and women of peace, humble, willing to listen to the other, and as men and women who care for and protect creation, this great gift of God, all living out of a deep sense of God's own love for his creatures. This is the way of living for Pope Francis. This is how we are being called to respect the dignity of all peoples and to address the growing divisions that we see in the world and so bring, out, uh, bring about a more united world shaped 
by fraternal love and friendship.